I was listening this past week to a very cool podcast. It's one that I talked about a couple of weeks ago. Some of you sent me an email and said, what was the name of that podcast you were talking to? Uh, talking about this past Sunday morning, you were saying, listen to, and, and, and the name of the podcast is just very simply this, Books of the Bible in 30 Minutes. Books of the Bible. And the guy, as Pastor Chad says, got a British accent, so he sounds very cool anyways. But it's a very insightful, if you got a 30-minute drive, you can learn a whole book of the Bible. I love it because it's so refreshing. And in the introduction this past week, as I was just doing more research, driving down the road, preparing for today's sermon, um, in the introduction, the gentleman that teaches uh, uh, the podcast said in his introduction to the introduction of the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, that, that it, it says, O Theophilus, I'm making my account, uh, uh, basically testifying to what the apostles began to do. And I was like, you know what? I, I remember that. I remember that the book of Acts makes that exact statement. Let me read it to you. <clears throat> In my first book, O Theophilus, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until he was taken up into heaven Listen to this. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until he was taken up into heaven. And as I was listening to that podcast, Pastor Rhonda, it dawned on me that what Luke is saying, the emphasis of the Holy Spirit, is this is, again, what Jesus began, not something he finished. It, it is something that Jesus started and then when he was taken up into heaven, he makes this statement. Does anybody remember? All power and authority has been given unto me under heaven and earth. So therefore, we see this transfer that Jesus says, I began it, but now I'm transferring it to you. And you go continue it. This book is called Acts, Acts of the Apostles. And what that denotes to us is that Jesus began this evangelizing the world. He began this witnessing as the witness of God. He began this building God's kingdom. But when he was then taken up into heaven, he said, I'm transferring it over to you and you continue the work. And then what we see throughout the book of Acts is all of the recordings of what happened with the church. Now, I love the Bible for this reason. I love that the Bible shows you that there was trouble. There was controversy, there was internal divisions. Hello, somebody, how many of you know when you get a bunch of people together, people in, intimidate one another, they step on one another's toes, they, they, they have trouble. There's attacks from the outside, there's persecution. I love, and we get to see what the first church looked like within 50 days of Jesus leaving the earth. And guess what it looked like? It looked imperfect because it was filled with people and people are imperfect. We get to see miracles. We get to see freedom jailbreaks. We get to see resurrections. We get to see the church grow. We get to see dreams in the night hours and earthquakes. And we get to see new territory taken. And then all of a sudden in chapter 26, the book of Acts ends very abruptly. Actually, many of you that study the Bible know this. There is no formal ending. The reason there's not a formal ending to the book of Acts is because, hello, are you ready? No, 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 no. We are still living in the book of Acts age. We, we are still living in the church age. Something to help you follow my thought process throughout the rest of our time together this morning is this. I am not a cessationist. Cessation like cease, cease. 
A cessationist would teach that the book of Acts is like Moses in a burning bush. Like this is a one-time experience. This, this happened, but it stopped. It's not going on anymore. Well, I think you understand that, that the book of Acts is basically countering that argument and saying this thing is still continuing to go on. I am what you would call a continuationist. That, that this not only was promised by God, it was not only distributed by Jesus, it not only failed to the first century church, but we see it perpetuated throughout all of the New Testament epistles, even 100, 150 years. We even see it in the first 200, 300, 400 years of early church writings that all of these gifts and manifestations still happening as the church continues to be God's witness for the expansion of his kingdom. All documented proof. I want you to understand that's the basis in which I will share this message this morning. I want you to see that I don't think it's a one-time experience. I think it's an ongoing process. Amen or oh me? But I want to show you something else. When Jesus makes this statement, oh, help me, Holy Spirit. When Jesus comes up and he says, hey, don't leave Jerusalem until you get the promise of my father. And when he comes upon you, here's what you're going to do. Watch this. He says, you're going to be my witnesses then, empowered witnesses then. And you're going to begin in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. You're going to go to Samaria. And then you're going to go to the utmost parts of the earth. Can I tell you what Jesus is telling you? Before Luke, the physician, ever writes the book, Jesus tells you the outline order of the book of Acts. Before Luke, if you want your mind to go pew, before Luke, the physician, ever writes the book of Acts, and the reason Luke wrote the book of Acts, because in chapter 13, it goes from they did, they did, they did, to we did when he gets on a boat with Paul and starts traveling, making missionaries journeys. So Jesus tells you in the Gospels how the book of Acts is going to be written before the writer ever even writes it. Here's what happens in the book of Acts. Are you ready for this? The church begins in Holy Ghost, I, I love that Chad said it this morning, Pentecostal revival with a bunch of men and women in an upper room in the city of Jerusalem. And then from chapters 1 through 8, that church grows from Jerusalem all through the outskirts of Judea. And then all of a sudden in Acts chapter 9, this crazy guy, Philip, saw the apostle. They start carrying this gospel then over to Samaria. Then we see in Acts chapter 10, the church begins to go to the utmost parts of the earth with Cornelius, a Gentile. And then it goes to Ephesus, where you get the book of Ephesians. Acts chapter 19. What I'm trying to get you to see is when Jesus makes this statement, Biggs, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, and this power is going to come on you, and it's going to effectively help you expand God's kingdom. And it's going to happen just like this. It's all going to start in Jerusalem, and then it's going to roll over into Judea. Then it's going to go from Judea into Samaria, and then from Samaria, it's going to start going to the farmost corners of the earth. It would be like taking a rock and throwing it out there in that beautiful bayou this morning. What do they call that? centrifugal rings when you do that 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 ripple effect throw it in there and watch it move 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 Jesus could tell them what was going to take place before it ever happened 
But he also just told you, those of you that like to study and really like the meat of the word and really like inspiring sermons and really like the nuggets of the Bible, how the book of Acts is laid out. If you just want a quick overview of the book of Acts, it's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost parts of the earth. And then it has no formal ending because guess what? Oaks Church is still engaged in the church age, in the Acts of modern day apostles, seeing the kingdom of God expand. Did anybody forget that's what we're supposed to be doing here on this earth? I mean, I love the peppermints and I love the kingdom builders banners and I love the lights and all that stuff and the golf cart rides. But you do realize that is not the sum total, teetotality of what God's called us to do. It's about the person that's out there lost. It's about the person that's out there hopeless. It's about somebody on the other side of the world that's never heard the name of Jesus. Like we have a job to do in this city. We have a job to do in this region. We have a job to do in this state. We have a job to do in this world. And that is to let that light shine, to let that ripple effect flow, to let it flow through me, flow out of this church, be God's witnesses all over the world. That doesn't mean you can't go deer hunt. That don't mean you can't do CrossFit. That don't mean you can't enjoy hobbies. You can't be married. That just means as you're doing those things, don't forget that my first allegiance, my first priority is to the kingdom of heaven. I'm going to say something to you, and and I wish I would have pastored here during the time, uh, all of these heights and all of these tensions. I don't mean that that way. I I just, it would have made more sense what I'm about to say to you if I'd have been here in 2019 or 20. Many of you see yourself as black. Many of you see yourself as white. Many of yourself see yourself as Republicans or Democrats or Monroe or West Monroe or even Christian, or Baptist, or Pentecostal. Can I tell you, the enemy has fooled all of us into that to bring more division. Raise your hand if you're born again. Raise your hand if you're born again. Do you know what the Bible says? The Bible says that your first identity is as a citizen of heaven, that you are Christian first. I am a Christian first, a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. This world is not my home. And I happen to be a Caucasian, and I happen to be Pentecostal, and I happen to live in children, and most of the time, my values biblically happen to line up with conservative values, but not always. But none of those other compartmentalizing of my life are who I am. Who I am is a child of God, blood-bought, washed, and redeemed, born again, citizen of the kingdom of heaven. That's who I am. And how I love black people and how I love democratic people and how I love Republican people and how I love Korean people and how I love white people and how I serve people that are addicted to drugs or help people through broken times in their marriages or not give up on people that made mistakes is because I don't let any of those other little things distract me from what God called me to do. And that is to help and to serve and to love and to bless and to heal and encourage and strengthen and guide. Because it's about the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of John. It's about the kingdom of Jesus, not the kingdom of Oaks Church. Amen? I know it got awfully quiet in here. That's what happens when you don't let me preach for seven weeks. I also want to show you this about that one statement, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the utmost 
parts of the earth. This is a divine order. So many people have said, oh, we've got a ministry campaign. Oh, we've got a, we've got a program or oh, we've got an idea. Listen, if you want to know how to do effective evangelism, if you want to know how to do effective soul winning, if you want to know how to effectively see the kingdom of God grow, don't rewrite the manual. The textbook says start right here in Monroe. Start right here in West Monroe. Start right here in Northeast Louisiana. That's when we birthed those church. I'm not trying to give a promo or an infomercial to Oaks Church, but that's why we said we don't have Sunday morning. We don't have a worship team. We don't have a soundboard. We don't have a light booth. We don't even have a building for God's sake. All we got is a bunch of crazy people that love Jesus under the bridges, feeding the homeless, passing out backpacks, serving this community. You start here, Jerusalem. And then when you get a little stronger, You get a little more resources, you start going to your Judea, and then when you get a little stronger, you get a little more resources, then you start going to your Samaria, and then when you get a little bigger, you get a little stronger, and then you start trying to go to the world. Where's your Jerusalem? Where's your Jerusalem? It's your home. It's your family. So many of us are trying to run CR ministries and run halfway houses and run businesses and run programs and run all of these things. All those things are good. I'm not knocking those. We're trying to run all this other stuff and our families are in trouble. I don't mean that condemningly. I don't, I don't mean that uh, under like, you know, staunch conviction of trying to condemn people into feeling bad. No, I'm just saying I got to realize that my Jerusalem may be Monroe, West Monroe for Oaks Church. It may be Northeast Louisiana, but John Skipworth's personal Jerusalem is Brooke, is Finley, is Fisher, is Foster. And I got to get that straight. I got to get that right before I can bring something to some other area. And let that start impacting and affecting those around me. You start in Jerusalem, then you go to Judea, then you go to Samaria, then you worry about the utmost parts of the earth. You remember the old adage, this is the buckle of the Bible belt. We've been saying this for our whole lives. God forbid we save the world and lose our own households. God forbid we see everybody else's kids saved and lose our own children. Amen? All that's in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And you will be my witnesses. And you begin in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. You go to the utmost parts of the earth. I want to talk about those witnesses. They're going to put this statement up on the screen just very quickly. Again, this message is in my heart. I don't even need the notes. I want to talk about these witnesses of God. They were obedient. The very first thing you see, just to make it legal, I'm going to put a scripture to it. I'm going to prove this to you. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Throw that up there for me. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. What I want you to know, first and foremost about this, is they weren't Pentecostal because they were meeting on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost, all right, you ready for this? Is one of the seven feasts of the Jewish calendar. Somebody tell me the holidays or the high days of the Greco calendar we all function by today. Christmas, Thanksgiving, come on, name them. Easter, come on, give me some more. Huh? Oh, that's a national holiday, 4th of July. You, you follow me though? Do you do know that didn't exist at this point? You, you, you do know that there was no Greco-Roman calendar at this point. There, this, that's, that's not how they were functioning. These were Jewish people living under a Jewish calendar, and this Jewish calendar had seven feasts, and three of them were so important. Check this out. 
There were three times. You had seven times everybody had to go to Jerusalem. And three of them were so important that if a man did not bring his family to Jerusalem on that day, the book of Leviticus says this law, that you were to go to that man's house, pull out the timber of the middle, nail him to it, and burn him and his family down on it. Every man was to bring their households on those three feast days of the Lord to the city of Jerusalem. So let's say you were a Jew and you moved to Rome. Guess what you're doing on Pentecost? <laughs> Be back later. I'm just going to take a month voyage to Jerusalem because ain't nobody coming over here to burn my house down and nail me to a board. It was that serious. So on the day of Pentecost, these are Jews coming from all over the world back to Jerusalem because they were walking in obedience. Put that back on the screen. My witnesses were obedient. They were walking in obedience to what they knew, the revelation of God they had at that point. Now that's just free revelation for you. That's not even where I'm going. More specifically, these 11, now 12, when Matthias' chosen disciples who are about to become apostles, they were more importantly being obedient to Jesus. They didn't get scared. They didn't run off to some other town. They went and they found an upper room and they got together and they started having a prayer meeting. What I want you to see is this group of Jews who was there in Jerusalem on that day, yes, they were being obedient to the revelation they had of God, but they were also more importantly being obedient to Jesus when there was harsh persecution, when there were people rising up against them, when they had just killed Jesus 50 days before this, all of a sudden these Jews are gathering together trying to be obedient to what Jesus told them to do. And what Jesus told them to do is go wait in Jerusalem until you get the promise of my father. Now, I'm going to shock you. Does anybody know how many people were in that upper room? How many were up there? 120, we believe, from the first accounts of Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2. Does anybody know the other astonishing aspect of that, that prayer meeting? Men and women were together. A woman is not allowed in a Jewish synagogue. So all of a sudden, these men and women are together with children, we believe. They're in an upper room, and, and, and I can't wait for you to go to Israel with me. Side note, got our papers in as we're focusing on Kingdom Builders Emphasis Month and a future missions trip to Israel. We are going. It is confirmed November of 2023. I will have the paperwork at the Kingdom Builders Banquet Night to pass it out. It's all lined up. It's going to be an amazing trip. Those upper rooms were rooms that were rented out all around the temple where when Jews came in from all over the world, they would have a place to stay to keep the feast days. They were up on the top of one of those upper rooms around the temple, and they were trying to wait on what Jesus said. And 50 days later, because Pente actually means 50, Pentecost is 50 days after the last harvest. It's when you finally have taken your last harvest. 50 days later, there's another celebration in the Jewish calendar. They were all there, and all of a sudden, because they were being obedient to God, they experienced something than they had never experienced before. All of a sudden, you know the story. You all are full gospel people. There was a sound of a mighty and a rushing wind and all of a sudden appeared to them cloven, divided tongues of fire and it set upon each of them. And the fulfillment of what Jesus promised, this baptism with the Holy Spirit, this supernatural power from God is poured out from heaven on these 120. Now, we're going to get a little deeper into that in a minute, but I just want to back up some. You know I know I love context, and I love the Bible, and you know I can teach or, or, or share things like that that really ain't going to make a ball of wax to you when you leave here today. But I want to go back and talk about God's witnesses being us. 
Me being one of the my witnesses of God. Are, are we walking lives of obedience to God? Here, here's what the Bible says, John Cheryl. I just got to be honest with you today. The Bible says this, that in order to be obedient to God means you're choosing to live in adversity to the world. Matter of fact, the Bible says if any man loves this world, he's the enemy of God. But if anyone chooses to surrender and to walk in obedience to God, you will find yourself very quickly on the side of opposition becoming an enemy of this world. Now, I'm not, a, I'm not a condemning communicator. I'm, I'm, I'm a grace guy, and I'm a love guy, and I'm a hope guy, and I'm a let's get there guy, but I'm also a real guy. I'm also here to tell you today, you can't live like the world. You can't look like the world. You can't swallow every hook, line, and sinker the world's lobbying up today and say, well, I'm right with God. I'm living for God. I'm on fire for God. Our family's where it needs to be with God. If all we're doing is being washed away in the tide and the current of the world around us today, the Bible is filled with clear instructions instructions that God's kingdom, what we're talking about today, and the kingdoms of this world are diabolically opposed to one another. Which kingdom are you spending most of your time in? Where are you at as one of God's witnesses in obedience? You know the old saying, and I don't mean this to be condemning. What, what, are you, what if you are the witness that someone else reads? What, 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 what if you were the witnesses your kids read? What, what if... You are the communicator of the gospel to your neighbor around you by the lifestyle that you live. I just want to go a little bit further. Here's what happens. We, uh, we start thinking, oh, well, I know, you know, I can just fudge a little bit. I can just slip a little bit. And as long as I pay my tithes, as, as long as I go to church, as long as I stay, we start doing what the Jews did, Ted, in the Old Testament. God got so sick and he said, these offerings, these, these sacrifices, you've heaped them up. They don't mean nothing. Your heart's not in them. Take them back. Keep them. They're just empty religion. And I just want to tell you today, we can do the same thing. We, we may not be sacrificing bulls and goats and pigeons and ashes and offering and blood, but we can just get used to going through. Has anybody, anybody ever got into checklist Christianity? Read my Bible today? Check. Said a little quick prayer today? Check. Went to church today? Check. Listen what the Bible says. The Bible says that obedience to God means more to him than any tithe offering you could write and put in the kingdom builders box this morning. Obedience is more than sacrifice. Obedience is more than any sacrifice. Matter of fact, how do you know God loves you? How do you know God loves you? Here's how we know God loves us. The fact that I'm alive. The fact that I'm driving this F-250 down the road. On October the 2nd, looking at the sunshine going, how in the world did I really get here? Like, how am I a human being? How am I on this planet? How am I driving this truck? How do I have a family? How, how am I thinking that, like the fact that I'm a here means that God thought of me before I thought of him. The fact that God's revealed himself to me through creation, the fact that God has revealed himself to me through the inner witness of Romans 1 of conscience, the fact that God sent his son in special revelation to die for me and to save me, the fact that God wrote the written word, that God sent his spirit to live inside. Oh my goodness, God, you do love me even when I was a sinner, even when I was lost and hopeless and in rebellion and disobedient. You're for me. Man, that is the gospel. That's the grace of God. And when the human heart gets the clips by that, all of a sudden it births you into a gratitude of God you've never had before. You're like, holy smokes, I could never do, all you can do is like, I can never do anything for you. You are so astounding, so amazing, so wonderful to love me in my wretchedness, to love me in my brokenness. 
But the Bible says there's one way you can show God you love him. John 14, 15 says, you want to tell God you love him, don't write him a letter. You want to tell God you love him, don't stand up in worship. You want to tell God you love him, don't write a kingdom builder's check. You want to tell God you love him, don't serve on the load-in team. <laughs> We're sure appreciate it. www.oakschurch.cc, connect tab, serve team. We need you. We were a little shorthanded this morning. <laughs> Every week, these folks have been here for a year loading in. They're like, that building ready yet? i like, I don't know. <laughs> Bible says, if you want to show God you love him, you keep his commands. You walk in obedience to God. I would just want to set you up for this. To be obedient to God means you're going to have adversity in this world. Listen to this. I, I, I read this. This is about this is obedience to God, not obedience to me. This is obedience to God, not, not obedience to Oaks Church, not to a denomination. This, this, is, this is what the Bible says. Check this out. <coughs> Forgive me. Go with me to the book of James. <coughs> Go with me to the book of James. James chapter 2. Somebody says, it's quiet in here. I like it. <clears throat> oh, I'm so sorry. I said James. <clears throat> Forgive me. I got a lot on my brain this morning. First John chapter 2. Look at this. <clears throat> my dear children. First John chapter 2. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not make a habit of sinning. How many of you know it's going to happen? It just shouldn't become habitual, right? You're like, it's, 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 it's going to happen. It's not, it's, you know, we're not glorified yet. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you don't make a habit of sinning. But just remember this. If anyone does fall short or sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the only true righteous one. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for all of our sin, but not only ours, but even for the unredeemed yet out in the world. Listen to this. And we can be sure that we know him. And we have a relationship with him if we walk in his commandments. If someone around you claims that they know God and have a relationship with him, but they continually walk in disobedience to his commandments, just go ahead and mark that person as a liar because they're not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word and make a practice and a habit of this, they show completely that they love him. What we've done, Gary, is we've made it a conversation about perfection and imperfection. Can I tell you what Christianity is? And, and this helped me when I went to Israel and I understood from Jewish people that that concept does not exist to them. They don't think in black and white terms, perfect and imperfect. They think in terms of adolescence and maturity. And what the Bible is trying to say to us is none of us is ever going to be perfect. But what we should be growing in is pursuing the growth from adolescence to manhood, from adolescence to womanhood. That's why when Paul says, when I was a child, I acted like a child, but all of a sudden I became a man, I became mature, and I put away all this childish stuff. I stopped listening to what the world had to say, and I just started growing in my walk with God, and there started being greater obedience to God and lesser obedience to this world instead of greater obedience to this world and lesser obedience to God. I'm going to make this statement. I need to move on. You can tell I got fired up about this this week. They're going to put this statement on the screen. As believers or as witnesses, it should be our desire 
to be good witnesses or to be Christ's witnesses. And how we do that is by living lifestyles of obedience. Living lifestyles of obedience. If, if, you know, I can just tell you about God's witnesses in the first century church, but what about your witness? You know, they were obedient, but what does that mean for us? Where's our obedience to the things of God? Where, where's our obedience to what God's saying? Listen, don't listen to me, listen to his spirit. But as a witness, we're called to walk in obedience. Not perfection. Get that out of your mind. This isn't about perfection. This is about manhood. Get, get, get being perfect out of the way. This is about growing in maturity. It's awfully quiet in here right now today. I need to go on for, before I get everybody mad at me today. Come on, put this second statement in here. Let's talk about his witnesses as well. You're going to like this. These witnesses, they receive power. Put this scripture on the screen. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mushing, mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting, and what looked like flames of uh, fire, tongues of fire, set and appeared upon each of them. Now, that's the only scripture I pulled out of there. Put the statement back up there, media booth. They received power. You see, it's quiet in here right now, isn't it, Bill? You know what? Because how many Sundays have you come to church and Pastor John's talked about obedience and relationship to maturity? Not very many. It's quiet because we're Holy Spirit searching us and we're searching our souls. And that's a good thing. When I was young, I used to get nervous about that and feel like people are mad at me. Listen, I'm just speaking on behalf of God today. That's what you asked me when you prayed a minute ago. And it's quiet right now because the Holy Spirit's searching us. But listen to me. God would never ask you to do something that he would never also grace you with the ability to do. God's not a cruel taskmaster. God won't say, go build brick. Go use your own straw. Go work in the hot sun like the Pharaohs did to the children of Israel in the Old Testament story. God said, no, I want you to walk in maturity. I want you to walk in obedience. I want you to be my witness, but I know you can't do it in and of yourself. I know you can't do it without some supernatural Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost outpouring of heaven. So here's a little bit of me to be inside of you. And I will do in you and through you what you can't do in and of yourself. And all of a sudden, these guys that God's called to be obedient start receiving power to do things they could never do before. Now, I want to explain this just because I know there's some Bible study students in the room today. Number one, I want you to see this is, this is so important. They receive this power. <clears throat> And this promise, this, this, this hurts my heart. How many of you remember Miss Brittany? Uh, it used to be Murphy, Brittany Russell. How many of you remember her story of hope? And I think this is okay. I didn't ask her and I didn't ask Austin, but she shared it publicly. So I hope it's okay. She talked about her growing up Baptist and, and, and Austin growing up Pentecostal. And, 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 and they really had trouble in their relationship because she didn't understand any of that. Remember that? And, and then when I finally got a chance to share her story of hope, and I said, actually, quote unquote, Pentecostalism, don't call it that, spirit-filledism <laughs> is actually a part of the gospel. <laughs> Uh, the form of theology that separated that out is incorrect theology. Matter of fact, Matthew, you ready for this? Chapter 3, verse 11. John will baptize you with water, but I'm going to baptize you in a few days with the Holy Spirit. Mark, chapter 1, verse 8. Same promises in there. You ready for this? Luke, it's actually a 316. That's another 316 we can commit to memory. John's going to baptize with water, but who you see the Holy Spirit in descending remain, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke all got it in there. And then John, a man sent from God, John chapter 1, verse 8, says in verses 31 through 33, 
I did not know him, but he, God, who sent me, said, upon whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one that will baptize all humanity with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Actually, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is in all four Gospels, and it's in the first three chapters of all four of them. It is a part of the Gospel. It's not an exclusionary part of the gospel. Check this out. So what Jesus then does, John, he says, here's what I want you boys to do. Go wait in the city of Jerusalem. So what did he command them to do? He commanded them to not get ahead of him. Don't go start a soup kitchen. Don't go start a CR. He was calling and testing their obedience. Side note, back to obedience. It's not obedience until somebody asks you to do something you don't really want to do. It's easy to do something as long as whoever's asking you to do it is doing what you want to do. Because see, what's actually happening there is you're in control through proxy of the person. But when the person stands up and says, no, I want you to do this, that's when your obedience is tested. He said, I want to see if you'll go wait. But when they went and waited, he said, what's going to happen is you've heard it said, John would baptize with water. But while you boys are up there waiting with the women and the children, there's going to be the outpour of the promise of heaven. They receive power. That happened that day in the upper room. It's in all four Gospels. This is a part of the Gospel. Jesus correlated it to the book of Acts from the Gospel. Check this out. I love this part. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. This is the baptism with the Holy Spirit. You ready for this? So here's what the cessationists would say. They would say, well, it was for that day only. Okay, great. I appreciate that. Can we just go to the, 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 the book of Acts right quick? This isn't in the notes. I'm going to just read it to you just so you'll know. I, I love that God left himself with a perfect witness here. Well, that was, that was just for that day. It's just what the church needed to get going. We, we don't really have to walk in obedience today. We really don't have to get supernatural power today from God to continue kingdom building, to continue to reach the world. Oh, okay, well, here Here's what Peter said after that Holy Spirit came upon him. Peter walked out and in front of the very men that he had denied he even knew Jesus in front of 50 days ago, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repent of your sins, turn to God, get out there in those mikvahs out there in front of the temple and get water baptized in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And then you too can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And matter of fact, verse 39 says, this promise that is from God isn't just for us apostles. Isn't just for you 3,000 standing there today. It's for you. It's for your children. And it's for all who are afar off, all whom our God shall call. Peter came out and just said, hey, this ain't about today. This is about the generations to come. It's available to all of us. Put this statement on the screen. I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to move on. No nope. power statement for that scripture. <clears throat> all right. I'm going to read it to you. Maybe they don't have it. <clears throat> Too many witnesses today are living without the realized and recognized power of God in their daily lives. See, I, I've done a good job teaching you about the Bible. I, I, actually, I've taught you context. I've taught you line upon line, precept upon precept in seminary school. We would say you just got good homiletics and good hermeneutics. You got them both right there. But as confused as you are right now, I don't want to leave you in that spot. What does that mean for you when you walk out of here today? What it means for you today is you cannot walk out of Oaks Church this morning and expect to be a kingdom building person without the power of God in your life to be his witness. You, 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 you cannot dress a dog up in a cat costume 
and call it a cat. You can't go to McDonald's and order Happy Meals and make yourself a McDonald's franchise. It's not common sense. You can't walk out of here today and be an effective witness for the kingdom of God unless you have Holy Ghost power in your life. And that Holy Ghost power isn't all the fruity and flaky and funny things that some denominations have made that. Now, sometimes it includes some things that, you know, are a bit questionable. I mean, let's just go Old Testament instead of New Testament. I mean, if Saul is the first king of Israel and he also becomes a prophet, and when the Spirit of God comes upon him, he lays down naked and prophesies. No, that's all right. Just keep that gift, God. Don't make me take my clothes off prophesy in front of people. There are some unscrupulous, questionable things in the Bible that happen around the supernatural empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I'm not going to say there's not. I mean, like, okay, Saul's on a horse. He gets struck down by a great blinding light, like, boom, slain in the spirit. People are like, I'm going to go up there and pray, but if somebody pushes me down, it's in the Bible. They come out to arrest Jesus. He gets up, and they said, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And he says what? I am he. And what happens to everybody there? Read your Bibles. In the Gospels, it says they have lanterns, they have swords, they have clubs, they have torches. This big group, this army comes out. This military SWAT team comes out to arrest Jesus. And they say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. And you know what happens to everybody in that legion? <laughs> they go, <"Vroom." laughs> So I guess Jesus stood there. Here's a part of the Bible that's not in. I guess he stood there and like, well, what do you want me to do now, God? God's like, wait till they get up. They all get up and he says, okay, I want to ask you something. Who'd you come out here for? I would have not been one of the guys saying, we're looking for Jesus. I'd have been like, peace out. But somehow these guys stayed and waited. And he said, now I said, who are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for Jesus. He said, oh, I told you I'm him. You put the The Bible is filled with these, these things that happen that, that I don't know how to exactly explain at times. And it's Old Testament and it's new. But what I can also tell you the Bible does explain about the power of God is it is power to forgive. It is power to heal. It is power to love. It is power to serve. It is the power to reconcile. It is the fruit of patience. Woo, you said, I know Pastor John is growing. He's getting patient because he is as impatient of anybody I've ever known. But I can tell you, the Holy Spirit in me has brought me here for over a year, every Sunday morning, setting up these chairs. Ain't a Sunday morning I miss unless I've been out of town with my family. And I'm still just as patient today about our future on the frontage road as I was then. And that ain't no lie. I'm talking about this power of God to be a witness, not just with these gifts, but with the fruit and the attributes and the nature, the character in which you live your life. How many of you know all of those things? All of those things are a part of your witness. They're all a part of the power of God. Told you I was fired up. It's 1130. I'm going to let you out of here because I don't I beat you black and blue with the Bible today, right? 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 Amen or oh me? How many, you know I'm, how many of you know I'm only on point two and I got four points? Here's another sign of that power growth, that maturity growth. In the old days, I'd have just kept on preaching, right? I don't want to come back to it because I like writing a fresh sermon every week. I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to give them to you. Pastor Chad, would you please come? What are we talking about? 
we talking about today? Talking about being a witness. And who are we looking at to model our witness after? The first witnesses. We're looking at Jesus. We're looking at who he gave the authority to. We're looking at their witness. Here's what they did. They were obedient. You and I are called to be obedient. Nothing's changed in the gospel today. There's just a lot of people out there trying to change the gospel. Nothing's changed in the gospel today. There's just a lot of heresy out there trying to change the gospel. Right? What are we talking about? Talking about being witnesses. Witnesses that received what? Power. You need power to drive on I-20. I live in Shudrant. I don't know where all those people live. It looks like Dallas at 7.50 in the morning. Has anybody been... I got to take my Oaks Church sticker off my truck. <laughs> I got on the service road the other day. <laughs> I was late. There was thousands of people. And then when I got up there, there was no wreck or nothing. I guess they was all looking at the new sports complex. I don't know what they were doing. <laughs> I saw an opening. I snatched over. You know, them little bumps. <laughs> I got an F-250. I'm getting up out of here. I called Chad and I said, Chad, them Oaks Church sticker were the dumbest ideas we ever had. He said, I took mine off. <laughs> Somebody said, oh, we got a church van, put the church name on the sign. I said, no. They said, why? I said, because you're a van driver. <laughs> you're going to cut somebody off in traffic and I'm going to get the voicemail. <laughs> All we're going to do is just number them. Number one, number two, number three. We put no name on the side of them. It's all right. It's all right today. What are we talking about? Being witnesses. Walking in obedience. Receiving power. There's too many witnesses out there today not living lives of obedience. Too many witnesses out there today with no power. Every, you know what we say? Here's what we say in Monroe, North, in, in Monroe West Monroe, Northeast Louisiana. We say, here's, what, here's how we say it. Oh, I just want genuine. Yeah, I'll go to church there. I just want genuine. I just, I just like real. Don't give me no fluff. Don't give me no, just give it to me straight. I like genuine. You know what people are saying? They want to be around with somebody with some power. They want to see somebody live it, walk it. How many of you know you can't walk it unless you got power? I'm going to put this third one up here. I'm going to just do it quick as we land the plane today because I do want to pray for these. Put this third statement this third they saw miracles they saw miracles anybody still believe in miracles are you a cessationist they've stopped or are you a continuationist how many of you really like to study the bible don't leave without this today the bible gives you a statute of limitations for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. The Bible gives it to you. Does anybody know what it, watch this. Anybody in here know what a statute of limitations is? Everybody's ever been in trouble with the law before. Statute of limitations is the time period in which they can get you in trouble for what you did. All offenses have statute of limitations except capital punishment crimes, okay? So they can't come back on you now unless you did something very, 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 very bad. It means the time that it expires 
1 Corinthians chapter 13. The chapter we say, oh, this is a love chapter. This is the, this is the, this is the Valentine's Day chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. And wise. going, I wish you had some of this love. Right? In there, he says, verse 8, that all of these gifts that are temporary, they will last during this age until he, which is perfect, comes. They're God's gift in the church right now for us to have a little bit of heaven in this earth. God gave them to us for this season. So many people are trying to explain the gifts and the fruit of the Spirit away. God gave them to us. Don't you know God's so offended? It's like gave you a thousand dollars. You say, no, thank you. When you go to lunch today and somebody says, I'll pay the check, you just say, no, I think I'll have it. Somebody says, I'll pay the bill. You say, thank you so much. Thank you. God said, I want you to have this gift. They saw miracles. You ready for pew? Ready for pew? Ready for pew? Right? The Old Testament, Genesis chapter 11. You know what happens? Tower of Babel. You know what happens? All the people on the earth speak one language and they get in cahoots in pride and arrogance that they're going to build a throne above the throne of God. Sound familiar? So God comes down and scatters man to 13 different regions of the world and confuses one language with many. Can I tell you what happens at Acts chapter 2? God finally sends the signal into the earth that he's ready to regather the nations. Go count the nations. There's 13 nations there and he takes all the languages and he makes them one. It's the language of heaven. Those apostles that day stand up And they start speaking. And these people from Rome and from Arabia and from Sicily and from Italy start hearing Jewish Galilean men that all spoke one language in their own languages. And they said, how in the world can this be? Somebody said, they're drunk with wine. I love Peter's response. He said, idiots, only nine in the morning. (laughs) Peter was a little rough. Raise your hand if you're a Peter. And we don't do that till four. <laughs> you know, like, I don't know, but they saw these miracles. So Peter kicks the front door open. He stands up there and he preaches. And the Bible says 3,000 people are saved. You know, there's one place in all of Jerusalem still today to baptize 3,000 people on the front steps of the temple and the cleansing pools, much like a baptism. You know, you didn't go into the temple until you took a bath. How weird was that? Like you went up there and took your robe off, went in, put your robe back on. (laughs) Hey! Just kidding. All those people standing there. He preaches. They say, what must we do to be saved? He says, believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Be water baptized. They all get water baptized and you'll receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. So many people today trying to live without modern day miracles. We're not effective witnesses. Can I tell you what Jesus would do? Go back and study your Gospels. Go back and study your Gospels. I told Pastor Chad, I said, I'm done with the advertising of Oaks Church. I'm done with the infomercials every week. I'm, I'm done with trying to explain the Oaks Church DNA and the culture and the value. I said, I'm ready to preach, man. I'm ready to preach the Gospel. I'm ready to get down to it. Go read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Jesus would show up in a little town. And he'd do a miracle so the whole town would come out. And then he'd preach the kingdom of heaven to them. 
Miracles are dinner bells for the gospel. Let somebody see a life change. Let somebody see a home put back together. Let somebody see somebody give forgiveness. Folks go, I'm attracted to that. What is that? That's all. That's authentic. That's, that's odd. Where did you get that from? And then you can share the kingdom of heaven with them. Watch this. Number four. They're going to put this on the screen. I'm done. I promise. I'm really done. They birthed the church. They birthed the church. First church of Jerusalem. That church grew that day. Can I tell you how it grew? 12, 70, 120, 3,000, 8,000. I've read the book of Acts lots of times. You want to know why that is? Read Genesis chapter 1 verse 28. Because God is not a God of addition. God's name is never mentioned in your scriptures next to addition. God is a God of multiplication. He said, go, be fruitful, and multiply. God is a God of multiplication. One puts a thousand to flight, and two put ten thousand to flight. God multiplies. The church started growing with multiplication, not addition. Most of us in churches today are struggling with subtraction. Right? I can't pay my bills. I can't get over this hump. I can't. Where are they at? They didn't come to church this morning. That's not God. God's a God of multiplication. That's how the kingdom of God works. I want to read this scripture to you. Matthew chapter 28. And this is where I'm going to leave it. I promise. I didn't just trick you by getting Pastor Chad up here. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You know it, and I can actually quote it to you. I've already quoted it once this morning. I just, I just want to read it so you'll know. So you'll know that you know that you know. Matthew 28. All right? Jesus came to his disciples, and he said to them, Boys, I've been given all authority in the heavens and the earth. Now I give it to you. Go, therefore and make disciples of all of the nations of the world. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the teachings and commandments that I've given you. And be sure of this, I will always be with you as you do this work, even to the end of an age. So many people today say, where is God? Where is God? I don't feel God. Where's God in our schools? Where's God in our nation? Where's God in our land? Where's God in our marriage? Where's God in our church? I got a word for you. I can assure you where God is. God is still still where he promised you he would be. He's still right there working with everybody that's fulfilling the assignment he gave them to do. The question isn't where is God? The question is where are you? You want to know where God is? God's still doing what? he said he would do the question is are you doing what god told you to do because if we were doing what god told us to do the assignment of god's presence is there the assurance of god's presence is there when god walks in the garden he says adam where are you you think god really needed to know where adam was or you think god was just sending a voicemail to adam hey you left the course (laughs) come on back home My witnesses, God's witnesses, they did four things. They were obedient, they received power, 
they saw miracles. Miracles. How many of you have seen a miracle lately? Serious. Come on, clap for God. You've seen a miracle. I want to pray this morning. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. They birthed the church, God. But if I'm not mistaken, we are a part of that church today. We're we're still a part of it. And there's people in this church today that that are struggling with their obedience. And, And God, here's what I know. I know that you love them in spite of their failure. I know that you have strength and power for them. God, it's my prayer right now by your spirit under the sound of my voice that those people today that are in that moment, in that tension, that strain of struggle, that they would just surrender right now. Surrender the struggle. Surrender the strain. Lay it down. And God, I pray that they would pledge and vow their commitment to you. To walk in it. To walk in your ways. To stay close to you. To live out obedience. God, there's people here today that that are also struggling. They they feel powerless and and so many have turned to so many other things and and while I'm not against exercise and while I'm not against sound counsel and and, and while I'm I'm not against doctors and medicines and, and treatment plans, God, I also know firsthand that while those things have benefit, there is supernatural power in you to do what no doctor can do, to do what no religion can do, to to do what no person can do. God, there's power from you. And I I pray for the weak today that need powerless that you would lift them up. Lift them up out of their weakness. Lift them up out of the ash heap. You promised that in our weakness, your strength would be made perfect. That in our weakness, your grace would be sufficient for us. That no temptation would overtake us. God, there's there's people here today that, that have given up hope on miracles, giving up hope on divine intervention, giving up hope on restoration, giving up hope on realignment, giving up hope on being sober and being free and being whole and having a new day and a better tomorrow. God, today, I just pray miracles from heaven be released, God, in their lives, in their marriages, in their homes, in their finances, in their families. There's so many of us, God, that we've done like John Skipworth did. We started building our kingdom. We, we, we started building our 401k. We, we started building our dream. We, we started building our legacy. We started building our reputation and our name. And we looked up one day and we said, we're godless. Where are you, God, today? I pray that they, like me, would hear your voice saying, I'm still right here where I assigned you to be. And I pray today that so many would turn and just say, I'm coming back to God. I'm coming back to what God's called me to do. I'm going to begin with my Jerusalem, God. I'm going to sense your presence in my home. I'm going to sense your presence at my dinner table. I'm going to sense your presence in our family nights. I'm going to sense your presence in our home Bible studies. I'm going to sense your presence on Sunday mornings in our worship and midweek in our life groups. God, I'm, I'm getting back to the assignment. You promised to be with me in my Jerusalem. God, as we, as we expand in our witness, help us, God, to see multiplication. Help us to see our life groups grow with genuine 
transformation. Help us to see the expansion over to the cross-country teams and, and over, over to the CrossFit groups and, and over to all these other things you've called us to be a part of, the, the deer camp and the business ventures and all this other stuff. God, let the overflow of our own hearts, the overflow of our own home, let it lead to multiplication from within us, out of us, into these other kingdom expansion, kingdom building, assignments and alignments. It's the best I can do. God, I believe it today. In Jesus' name.